Welcome to Bite Size Seminary. This is a podcast where we discuss issues in biblical studies, theology, ministry engagement, and following Jesus. With new episodes every other week, we'll dive into the biblical text, discuss resources, book reviews, and interviews. I'm J.C. Schroeder. I'm an instructor at the Ezekiel Project School of Evangelism and a THM student at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. I hope that we can encourage each other to live and read Scripture more faithfully. If you want to be challenged by new ideas and encouraged by old ones, then keep listening. Today, Dr. Jonathan Pennington comes on for a conversation about his new books, Jesus the Great Philosopher and Small Preaching. Dr. Pennington has had a huge impact on me from both his books and his sermons, and I'm really excited and thankful to have him on today. He strikes a great balance between scholarship as well as practicality and ministry. So I'm really excited to share our conversation together, and I hope it's a blessing for you. One final thing, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider leaving a review or even sharing with a friend. Okay, without further ado, let's dive in. Thank you, Dr. Pennington, for being with us to, uh, here today. Um, just really excited to have you on here. Uh, would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do? Yeah, thanks. Good to be here. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm a lot of things, I guess. Uh, um, uh, husband and a father. So we have six kids. My wife, Tracy, and I do. have been married just under 30 years. Uh, for the last 17 of those years, I've been a professor at uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, and for quite a few years in various capacities, including now, again, I'm also a pastor. Uh, I'm the pastor of spiritual formation and one of the two teaching pastors at Sojourn East Church here in Louisville. Um, I'm a Midwesterner. I'm from Illinois originally. And uh, but like living in the mild south, as we call Louisville, Kentucky, it's the mild south. Uh, and uh, I mostly specialize in the Gospels and Matthew and have done a lot of work in um, the Sermon on the Mount as well as a part of Matthew, as well as just issues related to um, flourishing and what it, what Christian theology means in a very practical way for formation and development of us as humans. So that's a big part of my passion and what I'm always working on. Yeah, that's one of the things I've really appreciated about some of your work is that it's not technical, but very scholarly, but also very practical at the same same time. I think, you know, sometimes Good. it's one or the other. So right, right. I really Good. appreciate that. Glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted to just talk to you a little bit about your two new recent books, or more recent books, Jesus the Great Philosopher and Small Preaching. Okay. And uh, I think they're both great books. I've really enjoyed both of them. And Jesus, the great philosopher. That's not something that you hear very commonly of, of a description for Jesus. Do you want to unpack that just a little bit? <laughs> yeah, as I've uh, I've had the privilege of having this conversation with a lot of different people on podcasts. And uh, what I usually say is, yeah, the uh, the publisher said the same thing for quite a while. Like, we cannot publish a book that says Jesus the philosopher. You'll never sell that book, you know. And maybe they're still right. I don't know. But uh, I agree because it is a very odd statement or very odd sentiment. But that's kind of the whole point is that it's only an odd thing to say now. It was not an odd thing to say, I would say, in the pages of the New Testament or in, in Jesus' own day. I think he would have been perceived as a philosopher. 
Uh, he's more than that, but he's not less than that, as I always like to say. Um, but throughout almost all of the church's history, uh, this is a very common way, at least to the Reformation uh, and probably beyond as well. He would have under been understood. This is not the only thing to say about Jesus, obviously, Savior, King, Son of God, you know, God incarnate, a million other important things to say. But he's also presented in the Bible and understood in history and in sacred art, for example. He's understood as a, a teacher of wisdom. And what does a teacher of wisdom or a sage or a philosopher do? Well, the, in the ancient world, they were the people who helped you think about the nature of reality, what we call metaphysics, um, the questions of how you know things, what we call epistemology, uh, what is the good and how do you pursue it, what we call ethics or moral theology, and how do you structure society and how do you structure relationships? Um, that's what we might call politics, if you want, or relationships. And so those are the big human questions that every religion, every philosophy, every culture has gurus to try to answer that. We have Oprah today or Ron Swanson, you know, or other people, um, but, or CrossFit, whatever, Warren Buffett. Um, and this, and once you sort of start seeing uh, the Bible and Christianity with those questions, you realize, oh my goodness, this is exactly what the a big part of what the Bible is about as well, offering true life. And so for me, it was a long journey uh, to kind of come to see that, but I am intentionally trying to recover, rediscover, reutilize, reform this word philosopher or philosophy uh, as something that's worth rediscovering uh, because I think it provides a line of sight onto the Bible and to Jesus himself that we've lost. And I think the loss of that has harmed some of our uh, comprehensive understanding of what the Bible is about and what Christianity is about. So again, simplest way to say it, Jesus is more than a philosopher for sure, but he's not less than one. And I'd like to help us kind of rediscover that aspect of, of who he is. Yeah, that's awesome. That's super great. Um, I think that's different than how we kind of think of, and you talk about this in your book, of how we think of a modern philosopher even, and how that's different from ancient philosophy, which is, which was more of um, very practical mm -hmm. in its in it in how it plays out. I think modern philosophy, like you say, is mm, kind of more esoteric, if you yeah. will. So, uh, yeah. in what in what ways do you think? And you mentioned like how uh, politics. Um, in what ways does Jesus, as being a philosopher, influence um, our daily life, if you will, mm -hmm. and like Christianity being a philosophy of life? Yeah, yeah, that's a big part of my hope for this book, really, is to start to explore that. And there's, of course, more to be said. But um, yeah, I think it helps us. Um, it gives us a chance to kind of reintegrate the whole, the many parts of our lives that we don't think about church and the Bible is just kind of the spiritual part of our lives. And then we go to other gurus or other uh, experts to tell us how to do these other things in our life, like you know, how to have relationships or something. Not that there's wrong with other experts. There are. I mean, I think it's great to read Brene Brown on vulnerability or whatever. I mean, it's great. It's not a it's not a competition between the Bible and those in that sense. But but our problem is I think we've often treated the Bible and Christianity as if it just deals with this one part of our lives, the vertical relationship between God and humanity, and not seeing it that it's that for sure, but it's also a very sophisticated and nuanced vision for how to think about friendships, how to think about emotions, how to think about um, 
how you should structure societal bits and the relationships between people, husbands and wives and servants and, you know, whatever it is. Um, and really the ultimate question of what does it really mean to be happy? This question that drives every human, uh, uh, not wrongly, wrongly so. And so my big point is that I think the Bible actually is deeply uh, practical and deeply comprehensive and deeply nuanced on these areas of our lives that we would typically put away from religion and say, oh, those are like secular concerns, like being happy or work or relationships or emotions. But say, no, the Bible actually has a lot to say about those things as well. It's a whole philosophy of life. And so I think it's extremely practical. So in the latter part of the book, as you know, I, I, try to explore just a few of these topics, emotions, happiness, and relationships, and try to show that the Bible actually has a lot of really good things to say about those very practical parts of life. Yeah, I love the tagline that you use in your book about that of educating your emotions, mm. of that it's not just a um, repressing our emotions or something like that. It's, you know, educating and leaning into and trying to understand how we feel certain ways. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, do you want to, do you want to expand on, on that at all about educating our emotions? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's, let's talk more about that. Boy, I mean, if you start paying attention to how much of our lives are being motivated by emotions, it's kind of overwhelming. Like whether it's fears we have, anxieties, anger, um, a just a unsettledness, uh, whether it's joy, pleasure, you start thinking about, I mean, almost everything we do <laughs> is connected to and driven by some emotion. And you've got a couple of different ways you can handle that. You can deny that uh, and deny it in a number of ways and say, well, that's just chemicals. That's not anything, you know, or deny it and say, no, I'm above my emotions. I'm not controlled by emotions. And I guarantee anybody who says that is probably an extremely emotionally <laughs> driven person. <laughs> um, or you can, uh, you know, or another part of the denial is to again say, uh, well, that's wrong. You shouldn't, you know, emotions, you should just use your mind. And if you just have faith and just think rightly, that'll control everything. Well, mm -hmm. uh, you know, How's that working out for you? But that's not true of anybody. And, and that really denies how God has made us. Um, we, we are deeply emotional people. We're not just cognitive. We, if you think about how crucial emotions are to what it means to be human, this is the biblical philosophy. This is the biblical idea that God doesn't say, just suppress your emotions, like you said, or deny your emotions. It says there are uh, to be a human is to be a deeply emotional person. After all, what's the first and second greatest commandments? It's not obey. It's not do your duty toward God. It's actually love, love. Now hmm. we could be, we could say that's more than an emotion. Absolutely. It is, but it's not less than an emotion, right? I love the old illustration that John Piper used from forever ago, where he says, you know, if you showed up at your, uh, at your own door on your anniversary with your spouse and you knock on the door and she opens and you pull out flowers from behind your back and, and, you know, your wife in this case says, Oh, you shouldn't have. And the response is, it's okay. It's my duty. You know, that, that there's something lacking there, <laughs> you know, that, that yes, you did the right thing. You honored the anniversary, you brought the flowers, but 
there we all know instinctively there's there's a deficiency there what's the deficiency the heart right i mean the the emotional part of it needs to be there duty is not enough and so too with um sorry, and so too with our relationship to god and relationship to others if we don't have compassion for people if we don't actually genuinely have mercy on people if we don't love people um, and you also think of it this way, think of the fruit of the spirit. Think of how many of those are emotions or are driven by emotions, love, joy. <laughs> there you go. Peace, which is very much a, you know, a, a, an internal state of emotional awareness, love, joy, peace, patience. You know, that's a, that is a behavior, but it's stimulated by an emotion of centeredness and compassion, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, same way that, I mean, kindness involves an emotional element. It's not just a duty, gentleness, self-control, right? That's kind of the apex of them. It's kind of saying you need to be a balanced, complete person. So the point is the Bible has a very thoughtful, very nuanced view of emotions. It doesn't say deny them like the Stoics largely would, um, or like modern science might or something. It doesn't say uh, repress them, but it does say, there are negative emotions too. hate, wrong, a wrong sense of hate, anxiety over the wrong things, um, lack of compassion or hard heartedness. There's all these things that are negative emotions. So God is very much about training us over time as we develop and mature and to be more like him, to be more godlike or godly. That's what godly means. It means to grow, to, to reflect the image of God more fully as a big part of that is actually learning for our emotions to mature and learning to pay attention to them and uh, learning uh, to educate them. So just I'll give you one brief example, then I'll, I'll uh, stop talking. Uh, you know, I, like right now I'm a pastor and I am aware and feel very burdened by several situations in our church, right? Natural, normal, situations of tension and misunderstanding and misfires and and uh some of them involve me you know in kind of an indirect way and so yeah i'm just aware of that i've got a lot of emotional burdens that i'm bearing that are affecting my day and my quality of life and my decisions too and and my attitude toward certain people right and then what i might say or not say i mean it's you have to be aware that your emotions are doing a ton of heavy lifting in our daily lives. And I really need to be aware of that. And I need to seek by the power of the spirit and by prayer and by thoughtfulness to be aware and to shape those emotions, to not just be a victim of them, nor to deny them. Because if I deny them, they will still affect my behavior. It's like, it's like if you're, kitchen's on fire and you just say, well, I'm just going to shut the door, you know, between it's between the kitchen, and the living room <laughs> and that'll be fine. Cause I don't see it. Well, that people, we do that with our emotions all the time. We try to escape into drugs or entertainment or whatever, or we just kind of suppress it. Well, that doesn't work because the fire is still there or, you know, I can be a victim of them and just kind of open up every door and then kind of like go to the neighbor's house and spill burning oil on their house too and burn their house down too. You know, the, the Bible's vision is neither of those. It's not repression nor be a victim of it. It's learning to pay attention to what's going on inside of you. And then through faith and practice and wisdom, humility and prayer to actually learn to shape your emotions, to, to tell yourself, like I tell myself, it's okay. 
it's going to be okay. I don't need to nuke this situation. I don't need to show up and add more intensity or negativity to the situation. I'm going to show up by the power of the spirit as a non-anxious presence. And I'm going to keep my own emotions in check and take them to the Lord, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord for he cares for you. And then I can be an agent of change for myself and for others by consciously educating my emotions. That's the Christ way. And that's where you can bring life to other people rather than destruction. So there's a, hope that's vague enough and specific enough to be helpful as a way that this kind of Christian philosophy, I think has really helped me. Yeah. I think that's awesome because I think ways that I have thought about it and I think maybe I'm typical, maybe not of just that the way that we think about our emotions is just trust the Lord more. And, um, I think that can lead to normal, normal life is just feeling like a failure. Mm. And, um, you know, that's not where I think the Lord wants us to be is just mm. constantly in a state of feeling like a failure. He wants it like, like, uh, I really appreciate that term. Uh, and you bring this out of that. The Lord wants us to flourish. He's there for human flourishing. Um, and I think that's just such a joy of the Christian, um, the Christian life that it's not just he's we're waiting for heaven and it just got to grit grit and bear it until then but mm -hmm. he wants us to flourish now yeah yeah that's the beginning and the end of the story is goodness mm. Tr truth goodness and beauty are both genesis 1 to 2 and you know revelation 20 21 into that area as well it's it's that's the beginning and the end of the story is is flourishing and that doesn't deny the reality of sin and brokenness but it's we've got to not start there we've got to start with the fact that god has made us to flourish he's made us in his image and that uh that's again that's the end goal of of what he's doing as well so yeah yeah that's awesome well so that's jesus uh as the great philo or jesus the great philosopher and that's uh in paperback and even on audible mm -hmm. i love uh audible did not plug for audible but i, I love audiobooks uh, so i listen to audiobooks all the time but one of the greatest disappointments of my life is that i auditioned to get to read it and i guess i wasn't good enough i'm so bummed <laughs> i would i wanted to read my own book but it, the, the reader does a great job so uh yeah the, you can get it on audible as well it's true that's awesome. That's funny. Um, your second book, just a couple minutes on this one, Small Preaching, mm. uh, 25 Little Things you can, you can Do Now to Become a Better Preacher. And I, I really appreciate this book as well because Thanks. of how, how practical it is. And I, I'm not a fast reader, so it's nice that it's a, it's a, it's a short book, mm -hmm. uh, very merciful mm -hmm. uh, book in that. And, uh, <laughs> Too many so, big books out in the world. You know? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, so who is small preaching or what is small preaching and who would it be for? Mm, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for reading it. Uh, man, I, I, I do really, this is going to sound weird, but I'm really proud of that book in the sense that I, that book really reflects a lot of uh, years of me stumbling towards becoming a better preacher and teacher. Really. It's not just for preachers. It's really for anybody who's a communicator. I think, I think there's a lot of good things in there about just being a better communicator, but you know, preaching is the particular thing. And so, um, the it's 25 little steps and the idea comes from very happily. And I talk about this in the first little intro is that uh, I read a book called small teaching by, a a uh, really good teacher, a college undergraduate teacher who does a lot of stuff on pedagogy and learning. And he basically, the idea is that 
you know, as a professor or as a high school teacher or whatever, uh, you know, you could go to like a seminar, a weekend seminar, read some big book. And it tells you like all these things you have to completely change, flip every classroom, do everything differently, you know, you've ever done. And, you know, most people will not do that. And then even the few that try, you can't really sustain it, you know, systemically and maybe not who you are. And his vision is to say, you know, here, what are some small things you can do instead of nuking everything and overall trying to overhaul it? What are some small things you can do at being yourself? In his case, in the book, Small Preaching, James Lang, I think is his name. Uh, it's based on the neuroscience of learning. So it, it's really good stuff. Like, but here are some little things you can do. Like, just do this a little differently in your classroom and see what effects it's had. So I read a bunch of his stuff and I loved it. And I tried a bunch of the things he said. And I, I really took, I think I feel like I make good steps. I think I was a good teacher before, but I feel like I've really kind of got to the next level as a teacher by doing these little things like start most classes with a, a writing prompt where I'll say, okay, I want everybody to write down. I'll just put a question on the screen, write down, you know, what, what do you think about X and just have everybody write it down and then mm -hmm. do some kind of popcorn style like that, that five or 10 minutes of class time pays dividends infinitely more than if I just kind of walk in and start lecturing or something. So there's little, so there's little things. So I did a bunch of these things and I thought, Hmm, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of thoughts I have that I've learned about being a better teacher or in this case, especially a preacher over the years that I, I want to take that kind of small, small ball approach. That's what he calls it, you know, so Kansas City Royals kind of thing. So you, you just do small little things, get players on base. You don't have to hire the grand slam hitters, the sluggers. You hire people or do things that you can just get on base. And so I over the course of a couple of years, I collected my thoughts and really worked on writing some punchy, practical little essays on, they're all like five to six, seven hundred words long, small steps you can take. Just try this, you know? So like, what do you do in the first minute of a sermon? Well, you got to think about that. What do you do in the last minute of a sermon? You, you got to be really intentional with those beginnings, endings. So it's just little small things to just say, hey, come try this on, see if it helps you make a big step. I'm not telling you a whole philosophy of preaching. I'm not telling you, here's all the things you need to change. I'm just going to say, try this. Here's 25 little things and see if these might help you improve. So that's, that's really the heart and vision behind the book. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's awesome. Um, one of the chapters that I appreciated was on what do you call snack writing mm -hmm. where, um, yeah. Can you just explain what snack writing is? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to remember. Uh, yeah, I think the idea, uh, gosh, I have a lot of thoughts that kind of flow in together from that, but I, I think the idea is um, it's based on that dietarily um, that it's often better to take in a bunch of small uh, meals rather than like gorge on these big meals that then make you sleepy and your body doesn't process as well. Um, and that's kind of the, the metaphor then to think about, uh, like writing regularly, even in small chunks, don't just kind of wait till you've got this big time block to get something done because the reality is you'll probably be less efficient during that big time block than you think you're going to be. And you can't, if you want to be a productive person, you can't just kind of wait around till the magical moment happens when all the stars are aligned and you, and you can do what you need to do. That, that's not how people that get stuff done actually operate. They work at things in small segments and you make it happen with what time you have. You know, you don't sit around complaining about, oh, I need this four hour block or I can't do anything time. Well, I mean, you can live that way if you want, but you're never going to get anything done. So it's instead... <laughs> 
to just be diligent and be faithful and have a vision and just kind of as you're writing a sermon, it's okay to spend 15 minutes thinking about this and jotting down this idea or 20 minutes here and do that. You don't have to have these big blocks always. I mean, I think there's also, there's time for both. I have a, another essay in there that talks about chipping and blocking. I think it's called where you have mm. big sections where you do work and then you have these little tink, 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 you know, little sculpture sections. So I think, I think that's what I said in the snack writing when you've read it more recently than I have. Is that what I said? Something yeah, like yeah. That? Okay, yeah, great. absolutely. Right. I, I really just really appreciate that because I'm, I'd lend towards like everything has to be perfect. I understand. And then, yeah. and then when I get there, I feel so stressed that, and totally. that I have to make it efficient and then it's not. And then I get frustrated totally. and I find that, that like snack writing, snack preparing mm -hmm. just really helps make that block time really more effective because right. it's in the, the back of my mind, you know, more totally. consistently. Exactly so. right. Yeah. That's a good life hack basically <laughs> to do because I'm very busy too. And, and I don't always do it. I mean, I stumble and waste time and, you know, but when I, when I do live that way intentionally, it's much more life-giving and productive for sure. Hmm. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Pennington, um, for your time. Is there anything that you want to plug or um, any projects, future projects you want to share or anything of that nature? Uh, I uh, I mean, I've always got a lot of stuff going on. I think the other book that came out last year uh, was a textbook on, on the survey of the New Testament, kind of from a Christian theological perspective. So hearers might be interested in that book as well. Yeah, there you go. Uh, reading the New Testament Christian scriptures. That's another book that your hearers might be interested in as a kind of survey from a little different perspective of kind of Christian theology and history. So anyways, that's about it. Always working on other projects. Uh, if listeners so are inclined, they can say a prayer for me. That would be really appreciated just that I would, God would sustain my energy and multiply my time. That'd be great. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Pennington. Um, it's been a pleasure, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. That's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Make sure to go and check out Dr. Pennington's works. You can see the links below in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving an honest review or even sharing it with a friend. You can check out my website at bitesizeseminary.com and or you can connect with me on Twitter or Facebook. Thanks for listening.